What is up? Welcome back to Stacking Slabs. This is your hobby content alternative. I am your host, Brett McGrath. Really excited to share this conversation with you. Hopefully it helps get your weekend started off right. I am joined by new president at PSA, Ryan Hogue, and we run through a whole gamut of topics. Talk about his collecting, his transition, becoming PSA president, his vision for what they're working on, little peek behind the curtain, really had fun with this one. Good guy, great to meet Ryan, and excited for what he is doing and how he is pushing PSA forward, especially on the technology side. You like what I'm doing over here? Follow, subscribe, hit all the buttons. You know the drill already by now. Most importantly, tell a damn friend you're enjoying the Stacking Slabs podcast. Without further ado, let's kick it to the conversation. What is up, everyone? Welcome back to the show. I am really excited about this chat. I think uh, it has been a while since I have brought someone on in the industry to talk about just what they're up to and the impact that it has on the collector. And we're going to do that today, certainly with today's guest. Um, I'm joined by Ryan Hogue, who is the president of PSA. Um, He is a collector. Um, He is deeply uh, invested in the community that we all work and operate in on a regular basis. And he's got a background in technology, which is something that I can relate with that um, I'm sure uh, we'll chat a little bit about. But without further ado, Ryan, Happy New Year. Welcome. How are you? Yeah, Happy New Year, Brett. Thanks for having me on here. Um, it's been a busy busy week for us at PSA, but uh, but excited to kick off 2023. Definitely. I think you can't go anywhere in the hobby without uh, seeing something either from PSA or from collectors about what's going on um, at PSA. I, I guess maybe just to kick it off, like what what's that like? You're you know you're the president. Um, when people think about collecting, when think about people think about sports cards and other collectibles, PSA is top of mind. Um, that is something I don't think that happens overnight. Um, what what's that like? Just as competition, as you know, new people enter, just maintaining that position. Like, how are you thinking about that regularly? Yeah, you know, it's it's uh first of all, I think it's a it's a big responsibility that I feel um leading leading this company, um, leading the brand. I think we've we've spent you know 30 plus years establishing the brand. PSA started in 1991. Um, and you know, I think we've we've got a reputation as uh being the kind of the the standard for for card grading. We really created the category. Um, we obviously probably process a lot more than 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 the other companies that are out there. Uh, we take a lot of pride in our quality and our uh, our standards and consistency. And you know, I want to just make sure that that as we continue to grow and innovate, that those standards and, and quality re- remain high, remain consistent, uh, and then that we're bringing you know new technology and other solutions to bear that can help us scale and delight customers and collectors in in new ways. But um, but the main thing is, I just feel an overwhelming sense of responsibility because a lot of the decisions that myself and my team make on a daily basis really impact um, the lives of collectors. And, and really, we, we, we know that mostly what we do is we provide a service that, that gives enjoyment to people. That's, that's the main thing. Collecting is fun. 
Um, we we add another element to it that that makes it fun, whether it's in the you know competition in the set registry or whatnot. Um, and so I take that very seriously. A lot of the decisions that we're making because it will set kind of the future stage for collecting for the next decade plus. Yeah, it's I think about this often, and it's like you know we send our cards off to PSA to get graded. We wait for them to get graded. We see the cards pop, and it's like I'm speaking for myself, but I feel like I can speak for a lot of collectors that it's waiting for those cards to arrive, whether it's USPS or FedEx, like it feels like Christmas, right? And then we get our cards totally. and get the boxes, go put on Instagram live and open them up to unveil them to our community of followers and friends. And I don't know, just as a marketer, I think about, man, like how powerful is that from just a, a brand perspective is you've got just this network in, of people that rely on you. And they're not only excited about your service, but they're excited enough to like take to a Instagram live to show off the grades they got to all the people. Like that seems like a pretty fun position to be in. Oh, it's, it's super cool. I mean, and, and, and before I was in this role, before I even worked at the company, you know, I've been a longtime collector, including a PSA customer for, for many years. I submitted my first card to PSA when I was in college in 1999. I actually, I went to, to school in Arizona and, um, went to a local card shop there in Scottsdale and, and used that card shop to help submit some of my original collection. Uh, and then I started submitting on my own in 2012. And so I know that excitement and that anticipation of wondering, you know, how did I do? Did I, you know, did I get a 10 on that order that I thought that thing looked really good uh, in the anticipation that, that, that comes with that. And it's funny when you look at some of the analytics on our web properties, some of the most visited pages uh, is my order screen and just people refreshing that over and over and over and uh, and seeing, hey, did it move? We've got kind of what we call the pizza tracker up there that shows the status as it as it moves along. We've got a whole bunch of steps internally that the cards go through before they ultimately, you know, get back out to customers. But yeah, it's fun. And, you know, and I even work with our marketing team and some of our operations team that works with with packaging and some of the materials we use to think about how we could even make that a more delightful experience for customers when they do the unboxing. So this year we started actually using some new boxes um, that are a slightly different design that have some PSA branding on the inside that um, they can be reused maybe in a, in a better way than the previous ones. And we're always thinking about new ways to delight, delight customers. We've even explored some pretty cool concepts with the tech team around like a digital reveal of your grades. And so if you don't want to wait for the package to come to you, but you want to have some more anticipation instead of just seeing like, okay, here's the grades and, and you got this flat list there can be like some some element like more ceremony uh, associated with that where it's it's kind of delightful and so we've been exploring some concepts there that we might might choose to build it brings in a whole other group of people cuz right now you've got the people that like myself where if the grades pop and i get the email or my card you know gets charged like i'm immediately going and checking the grades and then you've got the people who i just can't understand and but they do this and they just, they don't want to know until the box comes. So um, now we've looks like, sounds like we've got maybe a whole nother uh, experience to it's, layer in. Yeah. I, I, I can compare that. I'm, I'm in the camp of, I would always, as soon as I knew the grades were there, I'm looking it's, it's the same as like uh, when my wife and I, uh, you know, had our, had our, we have two daughters, we found out the sex of the, the kid as soon as we could. Her sister, on the other hand, with all three of their kids kept it a surprise to delivery. <laughs> it's the same thing. It's like, what do we got? <laughs> I, I have a daughter myself and we found out and I have never thought about comparing PSA grade reveals to gender reveals, but there's a direct comp there. Um, 
I, I want to get into maybe a little bit of the technology side. So you, uh, your background's in tech. You had a long run at Microsoft, coming over through acquisition, were, was there for quite some time. I think tech is something that maybe the industry and the hobby has been a little behind on, but just over the course of the last three years, um, it's been more part of the conversation and I think is really important. But I also think there's this side of the collectors that are like, you know what, like, I don't want there to be tech for just tech's sake, but if new tech is involved, I want it to, you know, enhance my experience. So it's just this kind of like balance. So based on just like your background and then also you as being a collector and also you being the president at PSA, like, how are you thinking about innovating and adding new technology that's going to enhance the collector's experience and not get in the way? Yeah, there's um, there's lots to unpack there. So I'll, I'll kind of maybe back up a little bit and, and talk a little little more about my origins and kind of how I ended up here. So um, yeah, I did I did spend about 16 years at Microsoft. Uh, vast majority of my career has been in product and software development roles. Um, I'm not a, a coder per se, but I've been on the kind of product management side. So know how software products are built, how technology is built, but really anchor it around kind of a you know, a customer centric approach on what are we trying to achieve uh, and enable and problems we're solving for customers. And I actually met uh, Nat Turner, who's my boss, uh, about seven years ago. Nat and I met through collecting. So we actually just uh, really funny. We actually met on the Collectors Universe message boards. We were both posting um, in this in this forum on the 1975 Tops mini set that we were both building. And we ended up connecting offline and in, in, in exchange contact info. We had a lot in common, both grew up in Texas, both were kind of doing tech things. He had started his previous company at that point. I was at Microsoft. And so we had just built up a relationship through that. And then um, when Nat led the group, the investor group to take Collectors Universe private in February of 21, we ended up chatting then. I had sent him a congratulatory note and then and then he proceeded to to pitch me pretty hard on, on kind of joining him on this adventure. But a big part of that was, hey, let's, there's so much opportunity to help reinvent the company and enable new capabilities and modernize things through uh, a use of technology. Because historically, uh, PSA and Collectors Universe um, had really underinvested in, in the technology side. It wasn't a core competency. I think, you know, as, as I, I came in as chief product officer originally, um, there was a lot of overhauling needed. A lot of the systems that power things, whether it's the submission process or back-end accounting software or the database that has, we call it the spec ID database, when you do cert lookups, it has everything. Like this stuff is, is fairly old and, and, and there have been performance issues. As more customers come on, it uh, has scaling problems. And so, so there's a huge part of just trying to modernize and move a lot of that infrastructure to modern stacks, having it in the cloud, not on on-prem servers. And then there's lots of untapped opportunity around new experiences that we're excited to build. So there's been some things that we launched over the last year. We we worked on uh, launching the Collector's Vault, which uh, is, is deeply integrated into the PSA uh, workflow and grading process so that you can very easily choose to have a PSA order go to the vault if you don't want to have it shipped back to you. It makes it super easy to be able to sell. In fact, in a couple of weeks, we're going to light up kind of the first selling options so that you'll be able to sell in the new golden marketplace. So that's really exciting. That was all brand new infrastructure, brand new tech, both from like a customer experience perspective, back end. But then if you look at like the core things that, that relate to PSA, I mean, a lot of it, I would say, isn't super sexy or maybe apparent to customers. We have a whole team that just builds our operation software. And so what they do is actually build the software that the folks in our receiving team our grading team, the research team, the folks doing imaging, 
all of that use this internal software to help move things through. We have things that we've done around uh, automatic image detection. We have a research team that historically, after the, the packages would get unboxed, the research team would then do a confirmation like, yep, that's the gold wave refractor, not the gold shimmer refractor, and get all the variations right on whatever is on your order. Now that we've we've kind of rolled out this computer vision tech, we're able to automatically uh, categorize at least 90% of those things coming in to assist the research team so that they're like, yep, yep, that's right, boom, 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 can more quickly go through the process. And then for the ones that we're less certain on, then they can do a more visual inspection on that before it goes to the grading team. So that's a good example of where we're applying technology behind the scenes to help us scale and process orders more quickly. Imaging is a whole other category that we can spend some time talking about, but we've invested a lot in imaging, both kind of before it, it, it's graded to talk, to work with scenarios like the one I just described, but then also after it's sealed so that customers get an image that they can use for their, their own purposes. And then there's a whole bunch of stuff, I think, from an end user perspective that I'm excited about. We launched a new PSA mobile app last month. Um, this was fun. It was it was kind of built from the ground up. And it was, we anchored it around the um, the PSA cert verification app that has been out there, which the primary value was, hey, scan that barcode or put in the cert number and it will tell you the details about that. We added a new capability, given that my earlier comment about how many, how many times people are looking at my orders and refreshing that page over and over, you now have an orders tab. So you can actually go in and see all of your orders in the mobile app. You can see when it progresses. And then we're also working on adding the ability to have notifications. So instead of even having to refresh, when it moves to another step, you'll get a push notification that says, hey, your, greater, your order's now in assembly, or it's moved to QA1 or whatever it is. And things like that, I think, are just delighters for customers. Like that's, mm -hmm. that's just a good thing. It's not getting in the way. It's just making it, it better. And then there's other things where I think we can just streamline the entire process of using PSA, starting with submission and, and all the research that people do to just make it more approachable and more accessible. Uh, we just relaunched um, our Collectors Club membership. And one of the things behind the scenes there was we have a whole new payment infrastructure now that's powering that so that we can store your credit card information. You don't have to re-enter it every single time you want to do an order uh, on, on the subscription. And then we're, we're, we hope to extend that to, to grading as well, because every time you do a grading submission, you got to put in your payment information every single time. We're now wanting to anchor this all around what we're calling your collector's ID. So it's, it's more seamless for you uh, as, a, as a customer. So those are just some, some examples of, of, of some of the stuff that we're investing in and how I think about it. I love it. Tons of exciting updates and things that I wasn't completely aware of until now. I have to ask you before we get off like the tech topic, I obviously was not not behind the scenes, but you were when the whole transition was happening with, all right, we're going to kind of cut off grading for this time period. We're going to help get this backlog corrected, and we're going to make sure that we can have better service level time delivery to our customers. And you know, there was a period where it was like, okay, well, we're not grading right now. And then all of a sudden when that those things got turned on, I thought my impression was, okay, this is going to take six months to a year to like really get back to normal. But in fact, like I started getting my cards back quicker than they ever before, which was fantastic. And I wasn't the only one. There are several other people and DMs. People say, are you getting your cards back? Yeah, I'm getting my cards back in a month when before it was six months. So I always likened it to like, if you were working at PSA, it was probably something like um, trying to fly a, a plane and change the engine at the same time, too. And then you layer in new technology and everything you just talked about. Maybe like give collectors a little peek behind the curtain of like that whole process, because I'm sure it wasn't all uh, 
all roses, but it seems to me as that a customer on the other side, things have leveled out and now we're getting our cards back at a good clip. Yeah. Yeah. So when pretty much new orders got shut down, I think that was the beginning of March, 2021. I didn't, I didn't officially start until July 21, but I had actually been, been down there later in the spring to see the facilities. I got, I got to see what the building looked like when things got shut down. And we had a little over 14 million cards at the peak in the backlog. And to put this in perspective, I mean, I remember as a customer of PSA, when there would be a significant milestone, like, hey, PSA just graded its 25 millionth card or 30 millionth card. And it took 20 years to do that. I mean, there was as much volume that came in over a 15 month period is the company had seen in the previous 12 or 13 years. Like it was insane. And so, you know, it was, it was overwhelming. I think the, t- the team clearly was not staffed to be able to process that much. So it was a Herculean effort, you know, across the board, whether it was our recruiting team that, that would work to bring in new people to help grow, grow our operations and grading teams our facilities folks, we ended up expanding our real estate footprint, both in California, as well as in New Jersey, we're doing grading in New Jersey now as well, to to the technology that I talked about to help us scale. But it was, I mean, it was it was massive, it was a huge lift. Um, And and when you're in a business like we are with, um, where our opinion and so and it's really subjective about how a grader chooses to evaluate an item, you want to make sure that they're trained and and that we're we're consistent and we're meeting the bar. And so there's a long training program before a grader is kind of turned loose into production. They have many, many months where they're, it's almost like apprenticeship where they're being coached and trained and evaluated. And so it took some time, but you know, the team chipped away at it. I don't think they got, I don't think they got overwhelmed. I think they were, uh, they were, they were focused and, you know, they plowed through it. And last August, pretty much, we had mostly cleared the backlog. Now, and I, and I said in a recent video that I put out that, that we're through the backlog, there are still some, some issues that we're dealing with with customers. So you'll see some things. People will, will come on social media and say, hey, I still don't have this order back. We unfortunately do have some situations with some of our group submitters. Uh, there's a couple in the UK in particular that we're working through where there's just some legal situations where they have not effectively paid for their, their orders. And so things are held up and then that impacts end customers. And so I feel terrible about that. But we're we're working as best as we can through those situations and trying to get those items back to customers. But yeah, I mean, it was it was a lot, but we built infrastructure now to basically um, be able to handle uh, a much higher volume of cards coming into our facilities on a regular basis. And if you look at some of the the reporting out there, like Gemrate does a nice job, uh, Ryan, who runs that, looking across all the grading companies and volumes, and and he's pretty accurate with his numbers because I know what we process daily. Um, he's really looking to see how pop reports change. But yeah, we've been doing over a million cards a month for many months in a row, and like that's that's crazy volume. And that's without the backlogs. That also gives you an indicator of demand. Like we're still getting a lot of demand uh, coming in at the, now that we've we've reopened. And a big part of it too, I, I wanted to really change the meme that's out there that, oh, PSA takes a year to get your stuff back. Yes, that was terrible. It was terrible. And it was unacceptable that we got in that situation. We're through that now. We have built up infrastructure and a company that can scale to handle more. And so we're being pretty responsible about how we uh, turn back on different service levels, run certain promotional specials, uh, and and we're letting the community really kind of own that message that yeah, PSA actually is turning things around very fast. It, it's not taking a year. It's like if they say it, 
takes 90 days or 60 days or whatever, it might actually get back to you in 30 days or less. And so that's the thing and is, is we're continuing to focus there. Um, one thing on this topic, though, that, that I've seen talked about, there's a couple things that I can give a little more, I guess, commentary around just to dispel or, uh, you know, rumors. Vintage does take longer with us. So for folks that are submitting vintage, we have less of our grading team that are trained on vintage. And so um, it takes a little bit longer to process through there. So that that is a reality. A larger chunk of our grading team are trained on modern and TCG like Pokemon. And so uh, and that correlates to the volume that we see. We see a lot of TCG. We see a lot of modern products coming in. So vintage orders will take a little bit longer. It's not that we're behind. It's just we have a smaller subset of our staff that that's equipped to handle those. And so, so when you see those pushing up against the ad, advertised estimated turnaround times, that's, that's why. And then the other one that takes a little bit longer is when you're doing a dual service and you're getting the autograph graded in addition to the card, we have a different workflow and process where the autograph needs to be authenticated. It goes through a different team with our autograph authentication team. And so that can add an additional uh, time delay. We're, look, we're actually working to try to streamline that and uh, improve that process to cut that down. But that can easily add, you know, another, uh, if it's say a bulk order or a value type order, can easily add another, like say two to four weeks to the process just to get through the autograph uh, authentication component before it gets to card grading. Dispelling any myths out there, going directly to the source. <laughs> that's what we're trying to do on this show. Um, I want to hit on the probably majority of the the people that are listening to the show, I would identify as as collectors, not saying that there are other participants who listen to this show, but I'm just curious, just uh, it's over the, you know, three years ago, it was, you know, parabolic, new people entering a lot of different ways to do the hobby. It seemed like the collector fell by the wayside as this whole new uh, persona came in and, you know, cards going up, cards going up. And then, you know, now cards kind of coming back or surf leveling out a little bit. And now I notice, I don't know if if you would agree or not, but you know, 2022 back half of 2022, it seemed like, you know, the 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 recognition or the position of the collector really started to elevate and um, which was cool. It was cool to see people just take to Instagram, share their stuff, um, just more conversations about building sets, more conversations about like coughing cards, that sort of thing. Um, I know you PSA is a company that's highly focused on the collector. I'm curious, like not saying that you're not servicing all the different various types of personalities and personas in the hobby, but like what types of things are, are you all doing or planning on doing to make sure that your, you know, your primary focus is the individual that's, you know, buying their cards to keep for a long time to get them authenticated by you all and get back in their collection. Yeah. Um, your, your comment earlier that, that we've been focused there, I think is accurate. It's like, we've, we've always been about, about, the kind of hardcore collector. I think that's what we've catered a lot of our, our services to. There have been a lot of new entrants that have come into to the hobby over the last three or four years, which is exciting. And but but what's funny is I, I I wouldn't necessarily say they're radically different from some of the longtime customers. I think maybe it takes them a little bit of time to start appreciating and enjoying the other aspects of collecting. I think there's there's a big chunk about like just kind of going down the rabbit hole and learning and going super deep and learning about a set, learning about a player, learning about, you know, the scarcity of something. And that's an area that we invest a lot in, whether it's with our pop reports, our pricing tools or our articles that we'll do in the magazine or on online. Like helping people learn and get educated and do their research is a category that we're going to continue to invest in. We have lots of great plans there to, to improve those types of service offerings. And then the set registry is the other interesting component. 
Set registry has been around for quite a while, I'd say 20 plus years. And really what it is, is um, there's two main aspects. It's a way for collectors to pursue a checklist effectively. And it's like to get to completion. And it's kind of neat. And and there was like, it it gives you some focus. If you're looking for focus, it's like, oh, what do I want to collect? What's what's kind of fun? This is a way that you can almost have a way to kind of work through through um, through a set that you want to go complete. The other aspect of it is there's a competition angle where there's actually multiple people that participate in the set registry. And so there's bragging rights. There's no necessary monetary value, but people take this seriously where they want to be at the top of the standings. And the way that the standings are calculated is based on completion of the set and the average of the grades. And so if you've got the most complete with the highest average grade, you've got the bragging rights and you're sitting on top. And it's a really powerful thing. And it's really fun. I like I've participated in it historically, uh, back with that 1975 Topps mini set was one that I, I, I completed. And then even today, like I'm building some sets for Willie Mays and Hank Aaron that are just kind of their basic top run, tops run. It's like 23, 22 cards. Um, just trying to complete those sets. Uh, but it's, but it's a blast. And like Nat, Nat has this with, um, his 97 PMG green set and he's doing some tops Chrome refractor. He's all late nineties basketball stuff, but, um, it's, it's, it's really fun. And so that's an area where I want to continue to make that more accessible, even to some of these newer collectors that maybe are focused on the modern issues or focused on TCG. So we're doing more to build up some, say, Pokemon sets in the set registry. I know last year we actually issued um, some new sets that are like Bowman Chrome Rainbows. But a lot of people like to collect the rainbow, like they might hit the Super Fractor or the red, and then they're going to try to complete the whole thing. So we've we put together some sets based on the rainbow, which is kind of cool to appeal to the modern collector. But yeah, I think I think like those two categories around the reset research and the content and the information, as well as things like collection management and uh, and the competition with the set registry are going to continue to be, you know, big focuses for us moving forward that I think appeal to to both types of of collectors. If I think about just like the the maturation of the PSA customer, one is like step one is like send your cards in to get graded. But then you kind of mature to this point where it's like you're not only in the pop reports every day, but then the set registry becomes just like a huge part of your collecting experience. And I think just thinking about just being at PSA and just thinking from like a customer retention perspective, like the stickiness that that can have on a collector where it's like they're out there and they're trying to build out sets or trying to get that bragging right. It's like chances are if you're doing that and you're doing that for a long time you're probably not going to go use grade with an alternative um, because you're so invested in that process. Like how do, how do you like as a president of PSA think about those sorts of things and making sure that customers that are coming in, aren't just coming in and grading one card and leaving and going to some, somebody else, but are there and they're kind of going through that curve of all the different offerings that you all provide. Yeah, yeah, we we actually are spending a lot of time um, thinking about what we call kind of the customer life cycle, and so we we really want to help guide people on a journey to help get them more sophisticated, kind of layer things on. It's like, yeah, they might grade one card, but then how do we get them to do something else? Either whether it's you know learning about the registry, uh, discovering something that's maybe related to what they graded with us that we think could also be interesting for maybe for, for them to collect we're starting to spend more time thinking about how we can actually design real marketing programs to help guide people there. So the easiest way to think about this is just email. So it's like, Hey, you, you do your first thing. What, what's the email we send you after you create your account? What's the email we send you 
two days after you get your card back, your first grading order. Uh, what do we ask you to do? What do we want to tell you about? And so we're spending more time being cognizant of that and, and crafting these journeys to help kind of lead people uh, on this path of discovery that we think will be uh, will be fun for them and then and then keep them as P, as PSA customers for for the long term. All right, I want to talk about Ryan the collector now. We're, we'll close it out. I know we want to share some info on some of the pricing changes and structure, but maybe talk a little bit about Ryan the collector. So your Instagram handle is Maze Mantle, which probably indicates that you are a collector of vintage, but I think you probably. Uh, from what I've seen, collect a lot of different things. So maybe just talk about just like you as the collector, like how long have you had the itch for and kind of maybe what are some of the things that you're focusing in on now just in terms of your collection? Yeah, sure. Um, so I'm 44. Uh, I collected when I was a kid in the late 80s. Uh, I, I got into it when I was probably nine years old, maybe. I think if I look back at some of my childhood collection, I had some 87 tops, even some 86 tops. Um, but I was really into it from say 88 to 92. And then like a lot of people, when I got into high school, I, I kind of got out of it. And this was also when the original kind of junk wax era uh, fizzled. And then um, I got back into collecting a little bit when I was in college in the late nineties, when eBay got going, that was like the catalyst. And it's like, oh, wow, this is cool. I don't have to go to a local card shop. I can actually buy and sell stuff on eBay. That's when I graded a couple of my, my first cards uh, with PSA that are still in my collection and the really old slabs and labels. I have an 89 Upper Deck King Griffey Jr. PSA 9 and an 86 Donruss Jose Canseco PSA 8 that are from the childhood collection, which is fun. And then I got back into collecting. Then I kind of like, you know, started working. I graduated from school and started, started my career. And then my oldest daughter was born in 2011. And I remember consciously thinking like, I need, I need a hobby that can keep me around the house a little bit more, not out on the golf course or doing, doing whatever with my friends. And I randomly went on eBay again and I bought a 1974 Topps Nolan Ryan uh, PSA 8. And then I discovered the set registry and I ended up building out the Nolan Ryan Topps run from 68 to I think 94 was his last year. And I completed that whole thing. And I I was hooked. And so then I went and I went and had, I bought all the cards that I wanted to have when I was a kid. I bought an 86 Fleer Jordan. I, I had the Nolan Ryan rookie that I bought. I bought a Gretzky Opeachy rookie. And I went and I just, uh, I had some money because I had been working and I just went nuts. And I went and I bought all of these things that I always wanted when I was a kid that I could never afford. And um, and then I did different journeys. I got one of my, one of my best friends um, who I went to elementary and middle school with. You know, I used to set up at card card shows, like in our middle school uh, cafeteria. I remember we were we did this once. We had like ninety one Donruss out there and stuff. I got him hooked, so he he got back into collecting at the same time. So it's a it's a it's a thing I can do with my friends, and we can talk about it. I got my brother in law back into it, and so having friends to to be something else we talk about other than you know fantasy sports or what happened in the NFL this weekend, and uh, it's just another thing that's really fun, and so we can kind of geek out over it. And so that was my journey getting back into it. And so the stuff that I like collecting now, I'm mostly a vintage guy. I do love the history of baseball. Baseball is my number one sport to collect. And it's just, it's just cool. I like the stats. I like the nostalgia. I like remembering the stories that my grandfather would tell me and my dad about players they would watch when they were younger. And so that's, that's been, you know, the heavier focus for me, but I also like 
buying new stuff. Like I love ripping Bowman. And so I bought, I bought a ton of Bowman draft and, and, and Bowman Chrome that just came out over the last few months. I spent way too much money on that, but, but it's fun. It's fun. Um, and so I love, I love prospecting. Uh, I started buying some soccer because my best friend, his number one thing he collects is soccer. So he's convinced me over mm-hmm. the years to buy some soccer stuff. And my daughter is a big soccer player and she loves Leo Messi. So I bought some Messi cards and I'm kind of all over the place. And then, yeah, my background behind me, I've got some stuff on this bookshelf. I, I've got like some, a type one photo of Ken Griffey Jr. I, you know, those are super cool. They're slabbed with PSA, they're original photographs. I've got some video games and and some Funko Pops and I've got Star Wars toys. I've got all sorts of stuff. I just, I like, I like the nostalgia angle. I like to be reminded of my childhood. That's a big part of it. And then I like the community aspect. I like like sharing the knowledge and getting smarter and learning, learning things about these things, these, these releases that I had no idea about. And, and part of that is like, it, it leads me down another rabbit hole. And it's like, oh, that's super cool. I never knew that. I'm going to go try to find that or complete that set. And that's been fun. And a lot of the people that work with us and collectors in PSA are the same way. And so we just feed off each other and it's just great to kind of share the knowledge and, and, it, and it's fun. So I, I want to hit on the soccer card element of what you said. So I don't collect soccer cards but I appreciate the game. And he was like most of the people probably watching casual fan watching the world cup and watching that world cup final, you got Messi versus Mbappe, the history and talk about delivery. I mean, just if you're walking in and watching the game for the first time, there probably is not a better experience you could have. Talk a little bit maybe about just like maybe someone who hasn't been collecting soccer cards, but now you are, and now you're watching the biggest game in the world and that was the uh, outcome, like that excitement. Does I'm, I'm assuming like the fact that you're collecting the cards helped enhance the overall experience and like strengthens the connection that you have with the game moving forward. Oh, for sure. For sure. Um, yeah, that game was was ridiculous. It was amazing. I had so much fun watching that. We watched it as a family, actually. It was it was really, really fun. And the other thing I think about is, hey, the, the U.S. and Canada and Mexico are hosting the World Cup in four years. So it's only going to get more interesting. And I think people are going to care even more about, about the sport. But yeah, having that connection, knowing that, you know, I've got, I've got some early messy rookie cards. I've got some newer issue, issue cards. Um, it's just kind of fun. That's, that's part, of the, part of the deal when you've got um, some tangible item related to somebody that's still actively performing, it makes it fun. You're a little more invested in the person and their success. Uh, and it's almost like you've got this memento that you can kind of hold in your hand. Uh, I gave one of my messy cards to my daughter. She's got it on, you know, up in her, on her bookshelf in her room on a little PSA stand. And, you know, the other thing with soccer that I've been learning is the history. Like, of course, everybody knows Pele, um, who passed away last week, but there's so many other players that you can learn about. Like Alfredo De Stefano is, is this player from Argentina who played in Spain who was an amazing player, played in the, in the 50s, started in the late 40s, played up in, in, through the 60s. And like, I've learned all about the history of these guys and I didn't know anything about it. And, and that's part of the fun. And so I've actually collected a whole bunch of this vintage stuff too, to just round out the collection, collect the Willie Mays or the Hank Aarons of, of this sport that, you know, maybe only uh, people know Babe Ruth, that's the Pele. But there's so many other great players out there that are really fun. And then- What's also cool is if you look at the pop reports, like with PSA, a lot of these items are super rare. Like we just, we haven't graded very many. Um, there's, you know, you'll look at some of these sets 
And it's in the single or double digits of items that we've graded. So finding one is super, super hard. And you have to go international sometimes when you're hunting for these things. And so I think I think that the chase is a little more exciting with some of the vintage soccer because it's not like stuff you see every day on eBay or at some local card show. And so so that's that's also part of the fun. But, you know, my my kids playing it or I'll say my youngest daughter's into it. My older daughter plays softball. You know, that's also part of the fun is, is like, you know, we can learn about the history of the players together. And like I bought a Mia Hamm uh, Sports Illustrated for Kids rookie card that I got for her, too. And so it's kind of cool to, to, to add to the collection. That's awesome. So I think just from a collecting perspective, it's, you know, basketball, baseball, football, hockey have been kind of the the four. And then, you know, rewind the tape back a few years. Soccer was emerging and I would say soccer has arrived that it's it's in there now. I know you all track like inbound what's coming in and kind of segment it all out. Um, and I'm curious, like I love the little niche pockets, like I'm a wrestling card collector yep. and there's just an incredible community around that. I'm curious, like, is there uh, a segment of of collecting that's been coming in more recently or like what's emerging? Like, what are people excited about that you guys are seeing on a regular basis? Um, you know, wrestling is an interesting one. I think that that's one that we see a, we see a little bit of. It's always been a niche audience. I used to collect the wrestling figures back in the 80s. I had the, the, the WWF guys. Um, so I, I was really into that kind of pre pre getting into card collecting was the thing was the thing that I did. Soccer is a growth category for us, for sure. When we look at like overall volume, though, like the TCG space, which I'm not a collector of, but I'm excited to learn more about it and dig in. We have a ton of of TCG collectors, whether it's Yu-Gi-Oh or Magic or Pokemon. That category in some months represents our largest category of items submitted. Uh, And so that's coming not only from the U.S., but around the world. And so that's, that's massive. And when you think about people that maybe grew up collecting in the late 90s, early 2000s. Now they're at the stage where, hey, they're working and maybe they have some money and their nostalgia is thinking back to Pokemon. And so they're now going and investing in those things, regrading their original collection. So we see the cycle repeat. But yeah, so that's kind of, kind, of, kind of what we're seeing there. And in fact, actually one of the big reasons why we're investing our new grading operations in Japan later this year is to help serve the growing TCG market, which which is... Uh, you know, of the of the items we have coming from from Japan, I'd say eighty percent are TCG focused, and so uh, that's why we're literally standing up a grading facility over there. I'm not a TCG collector either, but I will watch the content all day because there's so much passion there, and I can relate with some of the wrestling stuff that I'm collecting. Maybe uh, before we let let you get out of here, I'd love for you to maybe talk a little bit about pricing levels, what's changed, what should collectors uh, be aware of moving forward with PSA? Yeah, so we rolled out some changes this week. I had recorded um, a couple of videos to provide some more commentary. So I don't know if folks, if folks saw those, but this might be a little bit of a repeat for some of that. Um, so one of, one of the goals that we had starting off the new year was to make it easier for people to get started with PSA. So um, the, the, the changes that we made, um, there were twofold. The first one was we opened up the value service level that was previously only for collectors club members where you needed to pay $99 to to have a membership. And then you could submit at a $30 level. We reduced the price of that $30 to 25 and we removed the requirement. So now your kind of cost of entry to start with PSA is only $25. You can grade one card for $25. Previously, the, the tier that was open was economy, which was $50. So we effectively cut that price in half for you to get started to be a PSA customer. So that was a goal. And then the other thing that we had heard was 
a lot of either complaining or confusion about declared value limits and upcharges and things like that. And so one of the things that we wanted to do was standardize across the board on the entry level tiers to have the same declared value. And so we brought that up to $499 for value. We have a bulk offer that is also $499 and there's a 20 card minimum. Previously it was 25. And that price on bulk actually went up $1 compared to the previous year. It was, it was at 18 and we, we raised that to 19. Um, but you're, you're able to submit a much higher value item there. Previously, it was $199. We, we brought that up to, to $499. And then we introduced a new service level. So we eliminated economy um, that was kind of straddling this weird area between value and express, which has a declared value of $499, or sorry, $1499. Um, where it was at $1,000. And it kind of fit this, this weird window. And so what we wanted to do was actually give an option that had the same declared value limit. So you don't have to think about declared value. It's like, as long as your item's under 500 bucks, do you have one, two, three of them? Great, you can go value. Do you have 20 or more? Awesome, you can take advantage of bulk pricing. Or do you want to pay to move to the front of the line? And we introduced what we're calling value plus. And essentially we treat that like a higher tier service where it gets moved through the facility faster. And so that's $40 a card. So if you want to pay uh, an extra $15, you can have your item back even faster. And so that was the primary goal with those pricing changes. We also reduced the price of regular down from $100 to $75 uh, to just get that more in line with, I think, where, where, where the market uh, expects it to be. And so that's kind of the view there. And so I, I was reading some of the comments on social related to the pricing uh, thinking that there's some nefarious ploy for us to be able to upcharge by eliminating. That's not the case. Literally, the reason we do upcharging and we have the declared value-based grading uh, tiers is because we have a thing called the PSA guarantee. So it's an insurance policy where we will reimburse the buyer of a PSA card if we screwed up. So if we misgraded it, if it ends up being a fake we will cut you a check. As far as I know, we're the only ones that have this type of program out there. And that's why we don't just have a blanket thing. You pay five bucks and grade it because we literally stand behind what, what we grade. And so that's why we have the declared value tiers. And then the other thing too, is people think that we're, that we're upcharging all the time. I think if you actually see some of the comments, we don't upcharge all the time. I think we actually even give leeway. So if it's close, we're not going to upcharge you. It's just, it, we're very reasonable. But what we want to avoid is somebody grading a $10,000 card that we're then writing an insurance policy effectively behind, and they're getting it through saying it was only, you know, $400. That's, that's why we have that system in place. And so that's kind of my, my comments on, on, on that topic. And then the other thing that we did uh, as far as new there, um, we, we offered a bulk dual service. So people that want to do autograph and card, we now have that option. It's $25 a card with a 20 card minimum. We didn't, didn't have that offer before. And then for the ticket and pack collectors, uh, we had suspended the lowest level services there. So we re-enabled value at $30 for both uh, tickets and packs under $500 in value. So I'm excited for those communities because I know they're super passionate and uh, have been waiting, waiting a while to have, have a more affordable grading offer available to them. Awesome. Love the points of clarification. And also I would say there's this, it seems like on the upcharge, it seems like there's a community of people that actually post in excitement about the upcharge because it means like a lot of the times their cards get graded higher and people are celebrating it. So uh, maybe it's not always uh, necessarily a bad thing. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, 
Brian, this has been a ton of fun. Before I let you go, I noticed on your Instagram, you have sealed wax. I saw a 2000 SP football uh, box, 0304 basketball box, 0304 chrome. How how are you able to have the discipline and self-control to just let that stuff sit and not want to crack it and see if you've got you know a LeBron oh, gold refractor in there? It's hard. I keep them out of sight, out of mind. That's why they're not on display behind me. I have to have them locked up in a fireproof safe so that there's no temptation because it's it's really hard. If there's cards around me, they will they will get opened. And so, yeah, they're they're fun to keep. But yeah, I hear you. <laughs> it's hard. Love it. Well, thank you so much for coming on, uh, talking about what is happening at PSA. Um, I'm sure, you know, in several months, things will change. So we'd love to have you back on to talk about what's going on. Yeah, thanks, Brad. I enjoyed it. Happy to be back on in the future. Loved talking to Ryan about his collection, what was going on at PSA. So much good information, so much good stuff. Hopefully you learned a thing or two about what was happening over there. I want to be doing more of those types of conversations moving into this year and making sure whatever we're doing, we're providing value to you, the collector on the other side. Take care of yourself. Take care of others around you. I'll be back. More Stacking Slabs next week. 